This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barchies and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden, bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. So we are recording this in the middle of CW's fall premiere week, which is very exciting. By the time that this drops, the the more will have premiered. For example, All-American Season 5 and All-American Homecoming will premiere their new seasons on Monday, October 10th, starting at 8 p.m. Very exciting since we have, now we have two franchises, right? We have All-American Mondays and we have Walker Thursdays. We've got it. Yes, I, maybe we should, after that, no more universes. It's just so each day isn't like assigned to um, a specific franchise. I will take Superhero Tuesdays back, but hopefully we, we can hope for that. Yes, mid-season 2023. Like, we need that. Like We missed our chance for the Nancyverse. We mm. did. Still blaming, should we blame CW or Next Star? I'm not really sure which one. <laughs> missed opportunity. They should have let Tom Swift premiere with his girl. He needed Nancy. We'll but. just keep saying that every, at least like, Every month. <laughs> yes. Just a reminder. Do better, CW. Um, and then the Winchester premieres Tuesday, October 11th at 8 p.m. And the Professionals premiere on that same day at 9 p.m. Professionals, for those who don't know, is a action drama starring Brendan Fraser and um, Tom Welling. It's not CW, but it's going to be fun. I mean, there's a lot of explosions and running and different locations. Uh, it, it feels very... TNT, but we're here. I feel like they're hoping the Smallville fans will come out for that one. And I mean, they might. I'm, I certainly will. But yeah, it doesn't feel like the kind of show you'd see on this network. Mm-mm. But I did see someone comment um, in the on the promo for it that they've been waiting since 2020 for it to get picked up by another network, which makes me wonder if CW will have the decision on whether it gets a season two since they haven't, mm. you know, gotten a renewal it's been kind of radio silent on that front and it would be cool because the show's quite hard to track down like i remember hearing about it being made but i didn't even know it had aired until the cw announcement made me uh, research it so maybe this will be treated like a proper first airing and we can hope it will get a follow-up then fingers crossed i mean i still haven't watched it yet but like i think it could be intriguing it's an interesting direction for the cw to be moving in not that I want like all action dramas that are that aren't part of genre everywhere, but if professionals could live on on the network, that's fine. Hmm. Let's manifest that for them. Yeah, they've been waiting for that fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want it for them. <laughs> yes. So manifesting, we'll take this bit of news back to the executives, or at least I guess a, a review, a positive review from a fan, just so they have one. <laughs> Um, but what's really exciting um, is that by the time this podcast um, lands, it'll be the 10th anniversary of Arrow and therefore the Arrowverse. 10 years. Like, I've been ranting about this universe for 10 years. <laughs> um, it's wild. Um, it feels bittersweet because off those 10 years is probably the worst one the Arrowverse has experienced, but we'll not talk about that when it's a celebratory time. We're going to honor how it all started and we will be doing a celebratory podcast to celebrate not just Arrow, but the Arrowverse in general for a decade of the Arrowverse. 
I can't wait. I hope you're ready to hear me rant all yet again, all over again. Um, but yeah, it'll be in celebratory fashion because this, who knows what this network would be without this universe. True. I mean, it ushered in a new era for the CW in a way no one um, thought it would because superhero television was a thing of the 90s and mm-hmm. it came blazing back uh, thanks to Arrow. And we'll be dropping that pod on October 24th. Mark your calendars. It's going to be a great one. There's going to be a lot of history, like Michael said. And of course, you know, uplifting the Arrowverse, since some people have forgotten the roots of, of um, superhero television, you have Marvel TV because of Arrow. Uh, we're going to lay that gauntlet down. We're not going to fight about it because it's just a fact. <laughs> Michael, are you going to assign us an episode to watch? You don't have to assign one now, but I just want to put oh, it yeah. out there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I might just do that. Um, Michael's going to have homework for us, guys. Get ready. Yes. Yeah. Specifically for me, because I'm out of my depth, but I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I cannot wait. So much fun. <laughs> Out of, out of context, watching is the best. It was the best on 90210's pod, and it's going to be the best on Arrows. But even in the celebration, of course, we are um, sad over the loss of Mark Pedowitz as CEO. The man is still alive. I just want that, like, as... God, <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I feel like Maddie when she was like, RIP, that she had to say something. <laughs> <laughs> But as a CEO and president of the CW, he has had to step down. Um, and this place would be Dennis Miller, who I believe was a chairman on um, the Next Star board. So they're moving their own person into the top slot, which isn't necessarily surprising. Uh, he apparently does have TV experience, uh, but I'm still scared. Like, good luck to you, Dennis, but don't ruin our network. I don't know what to think, guys. Mm. <laughs> it's just like so many dueling thoughts. I don't know which one wins. <laughs> I'm sad because it's been Mark for so long and he's kind of built what the network became like post-launch. Like he he built the what became the most successful, maybe not successful. Let's Let's just kind of put an asterisk there, but like the most successful programming. I'll say Mm -hmm. like he built a very um, he I I don't even know what I'm saying guys he like he made this brand yes and it's sad to see him leave Um, but like you said it's not completely shocking I thought we were in the clear after like okay like sale went through premiere weeks here and then it's like oh okay they're not done yet (laughs) (laughs) i know it feels like we kind of foreshadowed most of the news regarding this ever since we started this podcast what a year to start it but like you knew the sale was coming you knew it would go through we prepared for cancellations even though we hoped for the best this one kind of felt like it even even though we did talk about it at the time because the sale went through it kind of felt like that was it now we are we're safe no more announcements and then this came along just when it felt like right at the beginning of fall TV week, like of all times, right when the network's supposed to have found its footing, not losing it. And just speaking as an international fan of the network, I feel like Mark had a big part in globalizing the CW, bringing its shows worldwide, getting all those international deals. It's a strange time. And I know the network's going to be more focused on what it broadcasts on the night, but I do hope a lot of Mark's legacy and making these worldwide famous shows gets carried forward into the new CW. I know this is not the time to stop daring to defy. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that's not the slogan that they're slapping on everything anymore, but the spirit of that still needs to remain in the company. Um, I know people are nervous because I believe the experience Dennis Miller has is specifically focused on um, non-scripted content. Uh, so everyone's like, oh, is this going to become like a reality TV a competition network? And that, to me, honestly, that's doubtful. Um, will there be more unscripted television? Sure. Will we suddenly have a Monday through Friday block of unscripted television? Like this is Discovery Channel? Doubtful. Um, I don't think but that works for broadcasts. It doesn't. So I just think that I understand the fear, you know, I mean, we're scared, <laughs> but like, <Yeah. laughs> but I don't think it's going to suddenly like, we're going to go, it's going to be January 1st, 2023. And then suddenly like all your shows are canceled. And by the time we come back in the fall, it'll be reality TV. And that's it. Like, I don't think yeah. that's we're We're not going to know we're going to see a lot of the trial and error for the next maybe mm-hmm. year, few months, but I don't think we're going to know how this all pans out until at least maybe three years from now until they finally like figure out what works for them or what they want to do. It's just it, like, we just have to, you know, buckle up. It's going to, we're in it for the long haul. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we got the three new shows this season, but they also obviously renewed nine shows from the old guard we know for a fact two of those shows will be ending um who knows if all of them will get renewed or not we already tom swift for example didn't um so i feel like it may dwindle down it'll get less recognizable as it goes on each after each year but yeah i do agree with reed it's not they're not just going to click their fingers and change the brand overnight that would be very bad business at the end of the day this network's known for teen dramas and superheroes you can't just click their fingers and get rid of both of them all at once otherwise you don't just not appeal to new viewers, you alienate the ones that are still watching in today's day and age. And you can't change your brand overnight. And I would, I hope, I really hope that these new people, the next star, don't make that mistake. Yeah. And we at least do know that there are three shows that they seem to have their eye on as far as, um, I'm not, I guess, temples. You have Superman and Lois, you have Walker. And, you know, surprisingly, Kung Fu. Kung Fu has been like sort of the, the sleeper hit. Like people know what it is, but I'm not sure how people know how many viewers they seem to be bringing into the network. Uh, but those are all family dramas to some extent, like mm. genre family dramas, but family dramas nonetheless. So perhaps there will be more of a focus on family units going forward. If we have more shows like that, like we've, we were familiar with one of the shows in the Walker franchise, big fans of Superman and Lois, and I do love Kung Fu. If we have more shows like that, I don't think that's a bad thing. That's a very good thing. I just hope those, those exact shows get to stick around and see the, whatever the next era looks like and flourishes. But I think there are three good shows to work with. If you know what I mean? Like we know for a fact, two of them are uber successful and the third one's very, very good and ticks a lot of the CW boxes and that it's action, it's family orientated. So I don't think the network will pivot that far if it if it's using those three as like a focus for its new era. Hopefully so. And perhaps we'll even get a show from Mark Pedowitz since he's reviving his Pine Street Entertainment Company and wants to see some of his shows land on the network that, you know, he built. <laughs> that would be so fun. Like, imagine if there were like shows that he wanted to make but couldn't. And he's like, wait, I'm going to grab that script and we're going to try to develop this he's gonna like sneak it into the network that'd be so fun it would be fun and uh, manifesting that as well it'd be interesting <laughs> to see uh what his company comes up with definitely yeah i would love that for him 
especially yes. after all he's given to her. Fingers crossed. But also, kind of fingers crossed for The Flash as well, because Candace Patton had some, you know, reassuring news that the um, that the Flash, the Flash season nine will be West Allen heavy, at least in the first two episodes, because that's what they have. Um, I'm not sure if they have it in the can or if that's what they've been filming so far, but at least for the first two, we can expect some Barry and Iris team ups. It's got, it has really gotten to the stage where the lead actress telling us that the core couple are going to spend some time together is newsworthy. <laughs> I've really reached that stage, but it's newsworth celebrating because yes, um, you were the first person I thought of Sabrina. I was like, yes, this is going to make both our day. Um, it, it's great to see that um, the core couple at the center of the show for the final season, I'm glad that it opens with that and doesn't build towards it like the end of the season, like we saw in season eight. How many seasons are there? In season eight, um, when they were separated for the whole season or not in the same place for the whole season. And then we had to spend the whole season trying to get them back together. We don't need to see that in the final season. We don't. And then some people were like, how we're going to fit the kids into this. And at this point, personally, I have... I'm going to just let Eric do what he's going to do. I do not think we're going to get the storyline we deserve when it comes to West Island and the babies. Uh, but I'll just take what they give us at this point. I have no expectations. The bar is on the ground. 13 episodes to get it right. Get in, get out and tell the story you're supposed to. Yes. That's all we can hope for, you guys. I, there's not... He's not doing a whole storyline about them working together and then Iris finding out she's pregnant and then those two having a whole storyline and then the first what the last three episodes are are family oriented with a new baby like that's not happening I, I, I wish with my whole heart that is what we were going to be getting but it's not we just prepare now yeah I feel like at the end of the day this is going to be about taking the box and bringing the story full circle and getting the children in the equation even if that means just a season finale cliffhanger of Barry, I'm pregnant. Those words everybody's wanted to hear for so long. At the end of the day, we'll take what we can get at this point. <laughs> that series um, finale review of ours is going to be something. <laughs> <laughs> Fill it in my soul. Um, but for more Arrowverse news, or I guess at this point, Superverse news, if mm. Justice U is going to have um, Diggle from Superman and Lois, uh, it's still in development. So that's good. Yeah, that's great to say because... Back when this show was announced, it was announced at the same time as Gotham Knights and the Walker prequel and the Winchester's prequel. It was announced at the same time as them and everyone was worried, why was it not picked up for last season or this season? But nope, it's still in development. It still seems all good on that front. It is interesting. The response online seems to have changed since Superman at most divorced itself from the Arrowverse because now it seems like this will not be the John Diggle we've known for the past decade. And it will in fact be the John Diggle we met through one scene on Superman at last, two scenes, um, which makes it a completely different show than what we originally thought it was going to be. I still want to say it. Of course, it's the remnants of the Arrowverse still let living on and whatever this new generation looks like. Um, but yeah, it's good to know that it's still going forward because Dare I say this network might be scarce when it comes to superhero shows in a few years. So if just as used part of that lineup, I'd be very happy about that. Is it controversial to say who cares if it's the same Diggle? <laughs> is, that, is it controversial? It might it's say, but I don't mind. Just like, I'm like, 
<laughs> and like at this point, we're just splitting hairs. Can we just like? It's a miracle that it's even still in development. I was so excited <laughs> when I saw that update. I was like, oh my God, it's still in development. <laughs> like, I don't like, I, I mean, I should take that back. I'm not a fan, so I don't really have a, a say. But for, as an outsider, I'm like, why do it like, who cares? <laughs> um, in the grand scheme of things, it is sort of like, but you're getting Diggle. It's a Diggle. It's an opportunity for them to create more story for him, pieces of story that people have wanted. Um, perhaps even finding a way back to the Green Lantern plot that people thought that Air versus um, John Diggle was going to have. Um, I think some people are just upset because if it's Superverse. Um, John Diggle, that means the possibility of Arrowverse characters coming back and the way that you know them is out the window. Mm-hmm. Like we're 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 done. Okay, I'll keep my I'll keep my thoughts off pod to you guys. Cannot wait. <laughs> it's not it's not bad. It's just like uh the thoughts and questions that um yeah, we can keep off pod. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's our deep talks are nice. So that's what I can't wait for. It. <laughs> But hopefully it stays in, it, well, moves beyond development and gets his uh, script. No, he said they're working on, David Ramsey said they've done two scripts. Yeah, I think they're back to hand in their second draft, which is a very good sign. Um, I just hope when it comes to renewal and cancellation period next season, we get to talk about this show in a positive light. Um, it's moving along. I just hope it keeps going. Mm, hopefully. And hopefully it doesn't just go radio silent like Zero, who got like a... <laughs> several script orders and then nothing has dropped about the news but he he did tease though that they had a new writer and he said he couldn't say who she is which makes me think that it's somebody that maybe fans will know Mm -hmm. i don't know maybe it's the swifty in me that's reading too far into that um but it sounds promising that they're taking their time on it not rushing it trying to get it right for whatever reason even if it's not in the same verse they're trying to you know get it all correct so i think that's another promising aspect and i'm interested to see who this writer is if it's somebody that you guys know and will be excited about to have attached to the show yes manifesting fall 2023 for justice you to land on the network which will give us gotham knights hopefully superman and lois and as star girl mm-hmm. and justice you so four we're it's been a long time since we've had four superhero shows on this network. A sentence I never thought I'd say, but yeah, I'll take that. I'm really hoping. Uh, but since we're talking about Starkirl, how was the episode? Hmm. We had it took a break from Blue Valley last week, but my goodness, did the tension ramp up in the most recent episode? Just let me check. Reed, did you check into it this week? I missed the bus to Blue Valley. Oh. I, ended up, I ended up in Horseshoe Bay instead. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose I can catch you up on it. <laughs> uh, uh, so yes, um, the main story, as we know, is the murder mystery. But um, the side story, which is starting to take front and center, is Courtney helping Cameron with his ice powers. Um, and so the episode pretty much opened where last week's left off in that uh, them two are very happy together. They seem to have started a relationship and uh, he walked her home, which is um, really cute, really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly, the, exactly the kind of like, nice guy you'd love to say. 
But then that comes with the other end of the equation. The JSA are not happy that Courtney is spending all their time with the son of the former villain. So it's creating a lot of tension. Generational he, feuding. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Very much so. Um, and so she is vowed to help Cameron with his powers, but he doesn't know any of the history. I think I mentioned that before. He doesn't know anything about superheroes, villains, any of that. So he's like, how can you help me if you don't know anything? And she was like, Wikipedia. So that was a really cute <laughs> moment. Um, uh, but that's how innocent she is playing it when she's with him. But uh, so she needed someone to confide in about how happy she was being in a relationship for the first time. And she knew how the JSA would react. So in a really sweet moment, she decided to confide in Cindy instead um, and Cindy was like, I can actually imagine the two of you together and you look good together. And she was kind of happy for her without saying that she's Cindy happy loves for her. drama, though. Exactly. Cindy does not know that Courtney knows about Cameron's ice powers. Oh. So Cindy went to Cameron pushed him not literally but like pushed him his buttons emotionally tormented him with some memories of him from a childhood and actually got him to ice his eyes over so that she got the confirmation she needed so she went back to Courtney it was like just wanted to let you know Cameron's got ice powers like his grandparents and Courtney was like already knew that so um, <laughs> Cindy was like why didn't why aren't you telling everyone um so basically Courtney's torn. She wants to tell Cameron everything because she thinks she's afraid of his grandparents turning him into the next icicle. And she thinks that their connection and the fact that he's a good parent or person could overrule that. But the rest of the JSA aren't sold because he's been indoctrinated into this villainous life for so long. So how could he know anything else? But the point is, it was really nice having seeing Cindy have that moment. Um, even if she does like to cause some chaos, like her and Courtney seem to be on like quite an interesting level now, which is nice to say. Um, the other part of it is while everything is going to hell in the JSA, Starman has stepped up to lead them and he has some anger problems. Um, he lost it on a mission when he entered the, uh, the ISS old headquarters and seen a painting off them and just decided to use the staff to burn the painting because he didn't like the fact the painting was looking at him. Um, hmm. My man has some anger issues. Um, and uh, so the JSA is like Courtney, Sylvester's cool, but he's got anger problems. And they were quite mean to Cameron when he showed up uh, and told him to go away because they're in a meeting, which Courtney didn't appreciate because I think the reason her and Cindy are starting to connect is because even the one's a hero, one was a villain, they both had terrible thoughts. So Cindy and Courtney have bonded over that. And they were like, that's what Cindy said to Courtney. You can't tell Cameron about his father because he has a terrible father as well. Wouldn't you rather the wouldn't you rather that he got to grow up thinking his father was a good man rather than being in the same position as us to growing up with terrible fathers? So that was an interesting dynamic. And Cindy made a great point, chaos and all. She made a very good point. Um, Wait, did you mean Cindy had a bad dad or Courtney had a bad dad? Both of them dad. Um, oh, I didn't. Oh, Luke Wilson's the stepfather. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Oh, yes. okay. I was like, yeah. Luke, Luke Wilson's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Courtney's father was just some uh, waste of space who abandoned her years ago. Showed up in town recently, stole the necklace that she he had given her when he when she was a child, and then left again so he could sell it. Um, 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, basically, and then of course, Cindy's father is Dragon King, the monstrous Dragon King who experimented on her and turned her into part lizard. Um, uh, so she's still having issues with her arm you, you, that it wasn't evident as much, but Cindy is still going through it off camera. Uh, but the JSA kind of got their stuff together in the end. The only problem was it was Sylvester who helped them do that, not Courtney, because Courtney still like got heart eyes for Cameron all time, all the time. Uh, but Sylvester gave the JSA some great advice. Um, and Yolanda, who's Wildcat, she still doesn't trust Cindy. So Sylvester told her to continue to investigate. So Wildcat broke into Cindy's room. And in the closing moments of the episode, what did she find under Cindy's bed? The gambler's laptop. Um, so uh, that's, the, that's the tension. That's the, the, the big cliffhanger. And she was like, Mm, there's going to be trouble and I know for a fact next week all hell breaks loose something dramatic always happens in the sixth episode there's always an excellent excellent fight scene in the sixth episode and it's not really a spoiler if it was in the trailer but I can confirm that episode six of the season will have another fantastic fight scene and yes all hell will break loose but I'm pretty sure I said about three weeks ago the girlies are fighting in Blue Valley and well the fighting will continue in the next, uh, as we go on in the murder mystery. And I think it, at the heart of it, it's going to be Wildcat versus Cindy because Cindy lied. Wildcat was right about her all along. Cindy has the laptop. But does that mean Cindy committed the murder? We'll have to wait and say. Sabrina, are no. you still on Cindy's side? I am. She is a chaos queen <laughs> and that is okay. I know that she is messy and she likes drama, but I do think somewhere in there, is a girl who just wants to be part of a community, even if she prods at that community all the time. I say this without having seen a single scene. (laughs) She's going to be like, yeah, I have the gambler's laptop. So what? (laughs) Yes. I was investigating. What were you doing? Um, I I, I don't trust her, but I trust that um, she's doing what she needs to be doing that benefits herself. Mm -hmm. And that does not necessarily mean that she's covering up a murder that she committed. It could just be, you know, she likes having all the cards and all the answers. Mm -hmm. So you're on her side, but she just does not make it easy. Yes, exactly. (laughs) When you were like, I know that um, Cindy's only on Courtney's side about Cameron. There's so many C's. Anyway, what about Cameron? (laughs) Because because she was waiting to drop that bum about the ice powers. but, you know, she just likes drama. Not to mention now Courtney and Cindy can bond because Courtney's lying yeah, exactly. <laughs> to have the whole JSA and Cameron. Unfortunately, that's going to blow up in her face. Oh, it, her is. Thing. it is. I know. I, I think that's the reason they bonded so well. Basically, Sabrina, everything you said about Cindy, about being on her side, even though she doesn't make it easy. That's the day in Courtney's life in a nutshell. She is on Cindy's <laughs> side, but Cindy does not make it easy. Um yeah, the episode opened with a flashback to when remember when Cindy was standing over the gambler's body and um, with the gun that fired and she was like, I didn't do it. We actually got to see what actually happened. I forgot to mention that the episode actually opened with Cindy standing over the gambler's body and she picked up the gambler's uh, gun. And right as she did that, her lizard arm started taking out and that's what forced oh. her to fire the shot. So she didn't shoot him. But the, the fact is her shiv was still pointed out. And the gambler had a big hole in his chest. So again, it still did sin. It was Cindy the one who stabbed him through the heart. Why did she take the gun? I don't actually know. That's a good point. It's like, girl, um, your prints are going to be on it. <laughs> I think she picked it up. <laughs> I don't know out of curiosity. Um, 
but that was when we actually saw her. She found the laptop. She was going to his trailer just for the laptop. She was so excited when she found the laptop in the midst of what was left of his trailer. And I think if I theorize based on what we've seen so far correctly, is that she was trying to hack into his laptop to find out something about Dragon King because the gambler worked with her father. I think she mm-hmm. wanted to find the location of his labs because her, she did go to his labs but didn't find anything. She wanted to find the location of his labs because something is happening to her and she was hoping that Dragon King's labs would have the answer and in order to find the location to Dragon King's labs, she needed the laptop. So, But like, girl, don't have it on your person. Right. I get it, but she's still going to beat these allegations. She is. She's just not really that great at hiding her trail. Not looking good. I know, but I <laughs> the am still here. Evidence is stacked against her. Like, oh, she need a good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's not a good time to be Cindy. Um, and I can, again, I can tease. I can say that will continue in next week's episode. Um, it's very much Courtney is putting herself on the line to fight for Cindy. And like we've said, Cindy is not making it easy. Um. She understandably has her own agenda with whatever is going on with her arm, whether she's turning into a a dragon queen. Um, But people are starting to turn against her, which isn't surprising considering her reputation. Though I will say one thing, Courtney's little brother, Mike, who was actually the one who ran Icicle down in the first season, um, him and his best friend, Jakeem, want to be taken seriously. None of the JSA take them seriously because they're younger. Um, and when they find out what was going on with Cindy, they went to Cindy. It was like a woman like you needs to be appreciated. So <laughs> why, <laughs> why don't you why don't you join us? Um, because she 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 helped she saved them in the hallway. They were being bullied, and she battered the bully, or at least threatened her, and then like walked off in this epic slow motion moment. And they were like looking after at her with hard eyes. Um, so they were like, a woman like you needs to be appreciated. Why not ditch the JSA and join us, the all-star squadron? Naturally, that made her bust out laughing in the corridor. It was like, you're adorable, but no. And then left them left them high and dry in the corridor. So I, f- I don't know if that'll come back up, but they seem to be the only ones outside of Courtney showing Cindy some appreciation. I don't she know. She needs if- allies. I hope she, she really realizes does that. Right like, now. you can't, you're... <laughs> Good luck, she's girl. Got three. <laughs> she's got three right now. And the most important being Courtney, which, by the way, Michael, is Yolanda Courtney's best friend? Are we about to have best friends fighting? Yep. Yeah. Oh, well, frenemies is like every you time you try. say something, I'm like, I understand why it's called frenemies. <laughs> <laughs> In fighting, I fighting. Yes. Yolanda was the first person Courtney recruited to the JSA. She's she's wildcat. Um and that's what you, uh, Cindy actually asked Courtney when Courtney came up to her. She was like, why are you talking to me and not cat girl or whatever her name is um so but courtney said she knows yolanda would judge her just because that would be the wrong thing to do i think courtney was afraid of the jsa telling her exactly what she didn't want to hear so she went to the one person who would be like yeah i don't care and that's what exactly what she got from cindy but even more than that she got a little bit of curing which is more than anyone expected from cindy which a highlights how cindy changed but b highlights some of the issues going on in the jsa right now because they're not really trusting each other. And Courtney is probably the, she's like a paragon of integrity. Nobody questions Courtney, but now because she is kind of infatuated with Cameron, trying to help Cameron and now starting to lie to the JSA, people are starting to doubt her. Nobody thinks she murdered the gambler, but she was the only one safe from the pointing the finger. And now, now because she's like ditching them to go and do her own thing, people are starting to point the finger at her, which is I think is why maybe she's starting to bond with Cindy that little bit more. 
Drama. Peak drama. Yep. Expecting tears. Come <laughs> episode six. <laughs> oh, yes. Is it a spoiler to say you might get them? We'll have to wait and say. <laughs> Spe- I was going to say speaking of drama, but it's more like action because we should talk about Walker Independence. We finally get to yeah. talk about it in a spoiler way. Uh, other than like, it's great. It's good. It's a Western. It's the 1800s. <laughs> so like, we now get to say something of um, more substance than we've been able to do. So just to put the question out to both of you first. How is Walker Independence series premiere? I have to say it's even better the second time. Because nice. I rewatched it and I was like, ooh, this is like I'm picking up on more things, picking up on more characterization, even more invested in the story. I'm I'm blown away that I like the show, but I mean that's a mark of a really good show that it's not my genre, but I really enjoy watching it. Yep, I'm totally with you on that. I feel like when this show was announced, this was the one we weren't entirely sure what to make of because Mm -hmm. it's so inherently different to anything that CW is used to producing. And I think that's why it works so well. It's ambitious, it's compelling, and I know we'll get into it more so as we talk about it, but I just wanted to say that, just like Reed said, I didn't think I'd get this attached right out of the gate. And I think that's the strength of the pilot. It's very, very compelling. And on a third watch, I had it, I had to add up in my head there on a third <laughs> watch. It's every damn bit is good. I can't wait to watch it with everyone. It's so good. It is. I was also on my third watch um, and it is, it's amazing. The more you watch it, the more amazing it gets. It's also, I didn't expect it to be as funny as it is. Uh, yeah, a lot of that sure. has to do with Matt Barr mm-hmm. <laughs> his delivery. Yeah, there was one scene where I picked up. He like was it? I think it's his intro scene when he's fighting that person. I don't know who it was, but like oh, there's yeah. a there's a, a shot where the camera's on Hoyt's face, and he makes like a he like rolls his eyes or something, and it's it's such a small like moment, but it's funny and it's a it's a simple way to characterize Hoyt as someone who's not entirely serious. <laughs> yes. Cause it's the, uh, it's one of his parishioners cause he's been, he's been pretending to be a pastor. Um, and he's like quoting the Bible. Um, and uh, what does the guy say? He's like, you were lying every Sunday at church. And he's like, they were good sermons, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> he's such a character right out of the gate. He is. And it makes, uh, it brings some levity to the pilot episode that it like it needs like because it's very off the bat we're very serious uh, mm-hmm. because murder happens in the first like five or so minutes um, yeah. and it's devastation and and Abby being a widow and then her being saved by members of the Apache and then wandering into like well not wandering she was led there by Callie and McCallie and couldn't go in into Independence Texas which is this very bustling small little dusty town. Um, it, the setting's great. Like, I really like how established all the buildings are. Um, and I did like it's Kate's, Kate's walkthrough with her briefly as they're, as she's shooting off real quickly, doing a lot of exposition to let Abby know what's going on in town. The second time around, I liked Kate's walkthrough intro a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time, like, I think the first time you watch any pilot, you're, 
you know, you're being introed into this world and you're just like Abby, you're kind of like seeing everything for the first time and taking it all in. So the first time I watched that scene, I'm like, oh, not another pilot exposition scene where there's a new character, you know, being so overtly gracious that it's kind of like, why would this person be this interested in a newcomer for no reason? But the second time around, it's, I saw it through uh, Katie Finley's, performance as Kate like that's who Kate is she's like I don't want to say a busybody but she's like you know she's invested in this whole thing she's the eyes and ears of this town and I I don't think the dialogue was super um because sometimes when you watch a pilot and there's those exposition dialogue scenes you're like Mm -hmm. okay that's heavy-handed um I think it, it that scene really walked a fine line and did it very well it's mm-hmm. quite a fine line. I also think that if you don't know out the gate that I feel like this is not a spoiler for anybody who knows who Alan Pinkerton is, um, but she's a, I'm just going to say it because you can Google him. He, she's a spy. <laughs> she the, the, She's a Pinkerton spy and she's in town um, investigating something, which is which in hindsight makes her walk through with Abby. Makes sense. Mm. Yeah, because she's like, oh, who's this new person? I need to get her on my radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's it. Because she's she's playing a character that's supposed to know so much about the town. That's why a lot of people would never know what she's really up to. I know we don't know what she's really up to yet, but she, you never question why she knows so much. Of course, Abby did. She was like, you've asked so a lot of questions, but it just it came across so well in that you pick up so much so quickly. And I know on the first watch, that can probably be quite overwhelming because you're hit with so much information at once. But again, Kitty Findlay's quirky performance, I think covered it up really nicely. It was, it was well-structured, well-written. And it made you really sit up and pay attention to a character like Kate. And I know the funny thing about independence is I love that line that Abby says is that people aren't quite what they seem. Mm-hmm. And she says it to Kate which is probably now in hindsight, one of the funniest things of it all, because we know maybe Kit's not what she seems. There's a lot going on in so little, in those small little scenes. I really appreciate that. And Kate picked up on Abby too. Like she was like, oh, you're educated. Mm-hmm. So she's like, okay, so you're not easily fooled. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, because she quotes something. Part of me wants to say it's Frankenstein, but I actually don't know what, um, what has God wrought. Mm-hmm. Um, is from um, but it also just lets us know like further know that Abby is an educator because we, we do learn that in the beginning she's going over the codes with Liam her husband um, and that is going to serve her well in this community I'm assuming that she will eventually start a school of some kind but first she has to get justice for Liam and somehow prove that it was the sheriff that shot her husband Okay, I have a question about this. Um, and I didn't really think about it on the first watch, but the second time I was like, okay, so she knows it was Tom Davidson who killed her husband. Mm-hmm. But does he remember her? Because he shot I, her too. I don't think so. It was dark, but she has like flaming hair. <laughs> like that's <laughs> like, she's, it's distinct. Isn't she in the same outfit too? Um, that part I do not know. Probably because she couldn't have had too many dresses. The um, because she was saved for one and for two, the wagon was set on fire. Hmm. Yeah, I, I assume that because he shot at her and she jumped out and then fell, he would he assumed she was dead because he he, he the way it's filmed, it makes it look like he did shoot her. 
And then he had to run away because the, the fire got too much. So he jumped on the horse, ran off. So I assume that we're supposed to think that he thinks she's dead because the way it was told is Abby was very attention grabbing or attention grabbing when she walked into town. Everybody suddenly paid attention to her, but he didn't. So either that's intentional, but then in the scenes after that, he didn't seem too perturbed by the fact that this stranger was in town. So I don't think he's aware of her yet, unless we'll find out later on at some point that he was. Mm-hmm. It's a question. Just like, I don't believe, I don't think Liam's as innocent in this as mm-hmm. Abby would love to believe. Oh yeah, there's uh, a bigger story there. Definitely. And it, def- it has to do with Boston, and which makes me wonder, are we going to get someone from Boston who comes to town to see her? Or if like we're just going to get the story from Tom at some point? But also his family is wreaking havoc too, so he doesn't really have too much of a leg to stand on either since they're stealing they're stealing cattle and he knows it presumably yeah i think that's right because didn't abby make a comment at the end saying that's one way to get away with it because he's the lawman of the town um mm-hmm. it does sounds like his family's maybe up to something and they very strategically placed him as the sheriff so that they can continue to get away with whatever it is they're trying to get away with and then they did say, he's from boston as well isn't he tom davidson I'm pretty sure didn't Hoyt tell her that at the end. So I wonder if like Tom Davidson knew to seek Liam out and kill him. And it it wasn't just like, we know for a fact now that it wasn't just circumstance that led to this. So is this related to Liam's past in Boston? Did the two of them know each other? I feel like the further Abby tries to get away from Boston, the more prominent it'll become in the show. And we were going to find out what actually went down there. Why were they trying to get away from it? I also want to know if Tom was there alone. Because as you said, it was very dark mm-hmm. and we really only saw his facial hair, <laughs> which was like, it gave enough away for us to know that it was him. But we didn't really see if there was anybody else like behind him. So that's another question I have. Like, are we going to find out in later episodes, like the camera's going to pull back and we're going to see like, I don't want it to be Augustus, but like, did he have like an accomplice with him? Hmm. I would say it's be a family member. I don't think it's going to be Augustus either. He's shady. I don't know. Like, I like him, but all of his interactions are so like, you know, something that you're not telling anybody. I don't trust him. I'm sorry. I love I, him, but I don't trust him. I don't trust anyone, I don't think. <laughs> People aren't what they seem. <laughs> he's played by film on Chambers. So I immediately trust him. <laughs> um, but I think it's also that um, Gus holds a lot close to the vest. He might be a person that's a lot like Katie, instead, but instead of being like outwardly, you know, welcoming and getting getting information through being a bit too friendly, he's just enough friendly, but also closed off. But in a way yeah. that like he can collect information, but he is the I, I seem to get a little bit of I like to see with Callian that seems to be genuine about trying to get Callian to come into town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like all of his conversation, not conversations, but like interactions with Abby, he was like, "Have a good day in Independence," and I was like, "What is that smile hiding? <laughs> like, what's happening here?" <laughs> well, yeah, I'll go ahead, Michael. Sure. I was just going to say that I do get a warmth from him, but I get, again, I find it hard to take maybe everyone bar, maybe one or two people at face value because of the, I do think if there's a quote that's going to carry us through is the people aren't what they seem quote. And so it's hard to take anyone at face value, but I do feel like he's Augustus is 
warmer, obviously, than Tom Davidson. He's been portrayed in a very cold light because there's no mystery here. We know for a fact what the sheriff has done. And I think the mystery is just going to be how is Abby going to get revenge? It's not who killed my husband. It's how am I going to get revenge on the man who did it? So I, what I do wonder about how the relationship will develop between the sheriff and Augusta since he's the deputy. But it's interesting. I feel like Augustus absolutely knows that Hoyt was the one that committed the robbery when he said, I, I think I saw you in town earlier today, maybe on horseback. And then he kind of like shoved past him after tipping his hat uh, to Lucia. So there's definitely, I agree with Reed that it feels like he always knows more than he's letting on. I'm not sure it's in a dark fashion if he's like, if he's hiding a dark secret, but there's definitely yeah. more to him. He, he lets people know that he's one step ahead of them without coming off um, threatening. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so except for the one time. There's one moment. If you remember when he was whistling the song that Abby was oh, playing true, in the true, wagon. True. That, and he said it was because the sheriff was whistling it. I was like, but Augustus, that made my heart like beat really fast. Were you sure you weren't there? I <laughs> <laughs> I have to say though, I really like Tom Davidson. I think he's a really um, fun villain. Mm-hmm. Um, I know we're supposed to like not like him, and I don't like care for him, but I I like watching him. It's he he's also I'm just going to say it. He's really handsome, so you guys don't have to reel me in for crushing on another <laughs> CW show villain. <laughs> <laughs> Talro, eat your heart out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no, not another one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought the scene too where Abby's, she stole Hoyt's gun and went into the, what was that party? Oh, the for the saloon at Hagen's? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, to introduce yeah. him. It was the sheriff's welcoming party. Okay, and she went there to kill him, which would have been like poetic. <laughs> <laughs> but she she does fire the gun, but it just goes right past his shoulder. I thought that whole scene, the cinematography too which is not to get into cinematography again i know we did that once with nancy drew but so many of the shots are gorgeous like we Mm -hmm. saw the perspective of her i guess it's not the perspective but we see like the close-up on her hand on the gun and so many of the shots the close-ups on her face tell so much more than Mm -hmm. her dialogue ever could yeah that's his response to it though because he just looks at the he's like oh (laughs) <laughs> when Augustus tells us, oh, so you're not scared, but you are aware someone yeah. is yeah, probably he, looking it, for you. The funny thing is he kind of thrived in that moment. Like he, he absolutely strikes me as someone who loves chaos. And mm-hmm. he thought that was like, I think he was kind of touched by the fact that he's already a marked person and that he avoided that. So he, he's, I, I, he's a very fun villain and it's quite impressive that we get to say that because let's be honest, yes, he was an overarching presence throughout the whole episode, but he was only in like three scenes. So it was very well that they accomplished that very quickly. Um, and I agree that that's the scene of her marching up to the hotel with the gun in her hand, with the fireworks in the background, the close-ups on her face with the teary eyes as everyone else around her was partying and they didn't notice the gun in her hand. And then of course the slow-mo shot where she went to shoot him at height stopped her. Incredible, absolutely incredible. Um, and that's really was, the end of the moment. And the scene was expertly choreographed because we see Kai noticing Kate and then we see Lucia noticing Hoyt and Abby and like every the whole main cast is in this room just like from different angles 
and it sets up each dynamic where if any of these two, any people in this class, any two people were to enter a room, there's already established tension for mm -hmm. anybody. And that's what you really want in a pilot is that there's no um, boredom if two characters are on screen. They all have something already. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that scene in particular really um, connected a lot of dots. Because I was like, how is this character going to connect to this person if Abby's all of their point of contact so far? But we, we so many like dots were connected in that scene. It's a great pilot. <laughs> it just it really is. It pulls you automatically in. Um, and it is good that they have relationships outside of Abby. So she isn't the central point. Like Obviously, she's the central point of the show with a little bit of, you know, um, Hoyt being on the side. But event, uh, except for Lucia, I just realized she's connected to um, Hoyt. And that's yeah. it right now. Um, she might have a little maybe jealousy with Abby. Mm -hmm. I don't know what, mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I don't want to project anything. I don't know what she was feeling in that moment when she saw her with Hoyt. Um, but I'm suspecting there will be some sort of um, conflict mm -hmm. yeah. with it's, Abby. I don't know. She's at least going to be curious because it's the second time she's seen them together. Mm. Um, and he hasn't established who Abby is to him, mainly because she isn't anyone to him other than a woman that keeps getting in trouble around him. But Lucia doesn't know that. Yeah. And the, they weren't taught. It didn't, to me, it didn't come off as romantic. They looked like they were scheming. <laughs> <laughs> they were allies scheming. <laughs> yes. But it's interesting that the pairing is going to be Hoyt, Abby and Callian um, getting all the information they possibly can with that haunting cover of Wayfaring Stranger playing over at the burial site of um, Liam. And I should note, Liam Collins, I, I believe his last name is Collins, which means her name, Walker, is a name that she comes up with in the mm -hmm. middle of the premiere, which was a nice um, reveal of that piece of family history for anyone who actually watches Walker and might have just, I don't know if in that show, because you know we don't watch it, whether or not they had ever said that the family name wasn't... Um, wasn't one that they just had because it was a surname that there's a story behind it, but there's a story behind it now. Um, I assumed really cool. that it was like her maiden name, but I also kind of like that she made it up and reinvented herself on the spot. Yeah. It was a real like dramatic character moment. And I know Abby had quite a few, but I feel like that was the moment she was like, she's going to take control of this situation because she, she remembered how they, um, uh, Callie and called her walks and tall grass. As I think that's where Walker came from. Um, oh my God. You mm -hmm. guys are so smart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like there for the vibes. Not, <laughs> not getting anything. <laughs> you got cinematography. You went full film student. Yes. Yes. I agree. <laughs> you inspired me in that moment. Um, yes. Uh, yes. I wouldn't know. Let's be honest now. You said we're smart. I wouldn't have got that if she hadn't. Did she, did she hear him say Jean de C beforehand, which is what mm -hmm. they called her. Um, and then, then it came to her. Uh, but it is it's an incredible character moment because like this what, three years of a CW show and however many years the original went on for but like this idea of like Walker has been in the public domain for so long and it's such an interesting origin story that we finally got for the name now I thought that was a really really cool moment for her as well and a very like power empowering moment considering you know she'd been in just the first 20 minutes of that episode and then to follow it up, basically how she like completely owned Hoyt when he tried to like do that terrible <laughs> job at a robbery. And she's like, do you want to take a, a kidnapping victim? Icon, icon. <laughs> <laughs> there are also a lot of um, 
other name references to the original, not original Walker, but the the Walker Walker mm-hmm. C.W. Walker, mm-hmm. um, like Hoyt's horses, Cordell, Cordell, which is it gives me like I I don't know if that if Walker ever went into like the origins of their family, but like it makes me interested in like okay how does because I'm assuming like Abigail is the like the head of this family, mm-hmm. so like how did she end up? how did somebody in her family end up named after her friend's horse? That's a question I have. And then um, Liam is her husband, which is Keegan Allen's character's name in Walker. Uh, right? Yes. I think Liam is his. Yes. It's Liam. It's Liam. That's oh, brother. Uh, okay. That's yeah. awesome. then, <laughs> I was like, did I hear that wrong? I was waiting for you guys to like, confirm. <laughs> um, and then um, I think one of Cordell's Cordell's kids, his son, is named August. Yes. It, okay. You know what? The Easter eggs—they're all over the. Thing. I know. I'm like, I want to know like how Abigail starts her family and how all of this, like, how the lineage begins. I think that's another interesting part mm-hmm. too, is because we have those Easter eggs, and I'm like, how does it all lead to what we've seen on the CW so far? Yes, because it's described as the first generation of walkers. So we have like the matriarch, Abigail, and how did we get there? And who is she going to start a family with? Or is that not going to be a question we get until we get to the series finale season? I don't know. I mean, I'm already wondering, are you shipping anybody, Sabrina? Waiting her, but I'm supposed to. Like, I'm like, but I feel very much like that's going to be a tragic romance of some kind. Like, mm-hmm. obviously he's oh, either they're going to be split and he's going to end up with Lucia or somebody else. And that's how you get the Rollins line. It's not Abigail's line. Um, but like anybody who's shipping them, prepare yourselves now because we already know those two family lines as well. I don't think they're connected. I think someone would have said that uh, a Walker fan would have said that the Rollins and Walker's lines at some point connect mm-hmm. and then um, don't connect. Um, but that's where my heart is. I'm prepared for the heartbreak over time. Um, and that's about it. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in Callie and, and Augustus. Same. I, 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 there was a little, I was like, hmm, <laughs> like, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. That's it. I think that's about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see, because this episode had a lot of groundwork to cover and I'm excited to see the romance maybe start to come up because I think it's going to be obviously a big part of the show is building this family. So I'm like, hmm. I'm already wondering. Mm-hmm. Even influenced me, Sabrina, to like <laughs> to ship and like keep an eye out for relationships. Yay! <laughs> a new era of the ship watch has begun. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, I'm eager for all of that, all that you mentioned as well, because it's really it's interesting now that we we know well. We don't because we're not Walker uh, fans. We haven't watched the show, but it's interesting to know where the story is heading. And it was already interesting. We had an idea of how the story began because the trailer has been out there in the public domain for about close to six months now. And I've said this before. It's really interesting how you can take the same piece of media and make it better with one video package or worse with another. Mm -hmm. And it's, Walker independence is the story of it is no different than the story we found in the trailer, but the show itself is far greater than the trailer suggested it would be. And I think that's a testament to the pilot because every pilot 
pilot eye, but this one, this you had lower expectations because I don't think the trailer did it justice. And yet the pilot succeeded with fine colors. I thought it was a great job, but I think the most exciting thing now is we know how the story starts. We have a vague idea of where it goes in the future. Is the in-between space stage now we know nothing about? I'm kind of really excited to see what an episode two of Walker Independence looks like, what an episode three of Walker Independence looks like, what a season one finale looks like. And I'm really excited just to, as we go on this journey and get to know these characters better, how it all plays out. Yes, especially because they are trying to figure out how to do a crossover. That mm. was something that um, Seamus Fahey, the showrunner, was talking about. And I was like, I would like to see it. I don't know how you do it because he already said he, he didn't want to do one of those things where like one of the Walker characters go, I remember when I was told. <laughs> like, And then there's just like a, um, a flashback. So they're trying to figure out a way to do it organically in a way that makes sense, especially because I believe this show takes place in the 1870s. So it's not like we're going to be breaking out a picture. I mean, pictures did exist back then, but someone's not going to have a sepia toned picture that came from the attic before they start talking about Abigail. <laughs> I could see them maybe doing something than what Arrow did in its first few seasons, which is where the main character, so in this case it would be Jared Padalecki's Cordell Walker, learns a lesson that maybe their ancestor or in Arrow's case, Oliver Queen from five years beforehand, learned at the same time. So you get to see both characters learn it. So it would like flashback, flash forward, flashback, flash forward. Just as just like modern Oliver learned in the present, the same lesson he would have learned five years ago when he was stranded on an island. And you'd get to cut between them. I wonder if maybe Walker might do something like that. I guess it would have to be on an episode of Walker more so than Independence. So you could have like Cordell learned the same lesson that Abby learned sometime throughout her life, but I may maybe make Abby a bit older so that whatever she learns in that episode won't directly impact what's going on in independence at the same time, if that makes sense. It does. Abby, Abby finds a, a time portal. <laughs> <laughs> she ends up in modern days. She's like, how do I use an iPhone? <laughs> I like your idea better all right. <laughs> That's the multiverse. <laughs> yes, the multiverse. And then she's messing up history as she goes, comes back to her own time and something's not right. Christ Suddenly married to Tom. <laughs> yes, Christ oh, no. of infinite walkers. <laughs> oh, we laugh, but um, CW do not get any ideas. <laughs> oh, no. But continue to have the idea about bringing WB and CW stars for cameos in Walker Independence. Because mm. that's also a thing that was teased. Yes. Oh my gosh. What did I say to you? I was, oh, Sophia Bush. Yes. Come home. Sophia <laughs> yes. Bush, come home. <laughs> Who would she be? Like, like, would she be one of the dancers? Would she be like? I have no idea. Just at least one episode, I think, would be so fun. It would be. We have, they'd have to introduce her in the saloon. She'd have to lean over the bar and say something like whispery as she's getting information from somebody. That'd be amazing. Ugh. Manifesting. Daydreaming about it now. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to think who else could come out. I have to say, the obvious choice for me, Kitty Cassidy. I mean, there you go, mm. CW, the queen of the CW, more CW shows under her belt than anybody else. Worked with Jared Padalecki on Supernatural, worked with Kat McNamara on Green Arrow and the Canary slash Arrow. So, I mean, like, it lines up, make it happen. Yes. And mine would be an obvious pick, Candace Patton, whenever yes. she has time. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Love she it. might she might have some time after next season, so make it happen. Yes, let her pop on down into Santa Fe, Mexico to film a scene like she's pretending to be in Texas and this <laughs> time with me. Oh, I want it so bad. But it'll be fun seeing the cameos pop up this season if they if they can get them this season. 
I already have them in season two, like they've been renewed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have to leave Texas to go to Maine for Nancy Drew, which also a very funny episode. Mm, It was funny. Ace was... Lajan. He he was on something. That was... (laughs) an ace episode and he was so was. funny uh, <laughs> when okay we'll get into the story but since i brought it up when he walks into the restaurant and the the host was like do you have a reservation and he's like i have many but i'm here anyway <laughs> yes. like when he's on the phone with karen and he starts like this is what he wants he's he's like get it karen he's like he back to drew and he's like too much yeah. <laughs> it was like he knew he was succeeding and he was getting more more into character on the phone and then he just like she'd agreed to it already but he just had to close with get that footage karen and i'm like what a moment <laughs> oh what a sweet little baby yes oh one more one more ace moment though in the car when he's like driving him away in um one, I love that he calls him Mr. D, but also that Carson is trying to convince him to go back. And he's like, I, I can't do that. That's not what's going to be happening. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, we're going to take you somewhere safe. And he's like, we're on Route 1. Please tell me that you're not taking me back to my house. And he's like, where would you like me to pretend that we're going? <laughs> uh, and it was such a departure from when we first saw him in the car. And um, Carson was like, wait, well, and before he even got the line out, yes, it was like, shut up. And then turned down to the garden, like, can't stand the chatty ones. <laughs> that was Ace's episode, for sure. So great. Um, I had to actually look in to see who that writer is, because they were fantastic for, for mm. this episode. Um, also, the, that wasn't the only part that was funny. Like, I mean, he was obviously very funny, but Nancy being annoyed by the connection between um, Nick and George. I don't know why her name escaped me for a second. Nick <laughs> and George was funny. Like, she basically was like, and then um, when he pops, when we have seven minutes left and George is like, what do we do for seven minutes? And it's like, obviously they want you to lean into the idea that they're going to be kissing. And he goes, I have more ideas about the claw. And she's like, you're very proactive. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy really did kind of flip out there when she found out about the business partnership but then she cooled down toward the end. I think mm-hmm. maybe she was like, okay, I have bigger fish to fry than this right now. Yeah, but it, it was it, it spooked her a little bit. Yeah, that's it. And it was a very interesting journey for her because, of course, there was that first awkward thing about you bought the claw, whatever, and they got over that and they started talking about the mission. And you could almost see the look of like relaxing on George's face because she was like, yes, she changed the subject. But we we always praise Kennedy's acting. And my goodness, there was one moment when they went into the sewers and uh, George made the Jean Valjean reference and uh, Nick knew to automatically talk about it. There was just this excellent, subtle head shake that Kennedy did. Like, if you weren't looking at the camera, you wouldn't see it. But I think that highlighted mm-hmm. Nancy's almost like, in, is insecurity the right word? She was, she was completely caught off guard by this. And like, they didn't linger on it. They didn't stick with it. Uh, Nancy got on with the mission, but I just thought I was looking at her in that moment. And she's just like, she knew what was happening, but she was doing anything she could to avoid it. And I just thought that was awesome. Yes, she's so perceptive. She had already picked mm-hmm. up on it. I have to mention they're being very weird. And then, because um, they hop up every time she sees them together, even though <laughs> they're not doing anything. Um, and she was needlessly standing close to Nick when they were discussing her going off on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, like, I need you to stay here so you can save me. And I was like, hon, the flowers are on the grave. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like it is it's done. I need you to get there too, so I can get there too. But I mean, I've seen a steal for episode 13. 
So I know um, something, I'll get potentially one more moment and then we will wrap it up. Um, but this was also an interesting case. Um, well, two cases, cause you have what's going on in the mental hospital and then you have like um, solving how to get Carson out of jail so he doesn't get killed by whoever Mr. Hudson hired. Um, but with the case, I would have pieced out of the mental hospital. I'm sorry, all that mold and then like the bugs that were crawling on the wall too. Uh, no. Oh, Nancy, was it worth it? The whole time I was just like yelling at her, like, just go outside, get service, and you'll find out that your dad is out of jail and you probably should be helping with this situation mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. you're so invested in trying to help exonerate him by finding information by, from Lucy Sable's mom, who there was, oh, she really walked a moral line for me yeah. talking to Lucy's mom. Um, and I was like, is it really worth getting that hotel key and then being locked in a supernatural box that's going to kill you when you could have just like checked your voicemail and seen probably <laughs> frantic texts from Ace and Bess. <laughs> like you could have helped out that and then like maybe circle back to this hospital. But did you guys notice the, the just look of glee on her face when she was talking to that um, nurse who ended up being a patient and he was like, Oh, I'll tell you everything. And she was just so excited that somebody yes. was like going to tell her everything and she didn't have to like, beg it out of them yes <laughs> she's so cute like she's always like you're gonna give me all of the information yes let's sit down over here <laughs> you can just <laughs> spill everything i think that this was also a good opportunity like you said reed for us to see how far she's willing to go to get things because even when she's like i think lucy's mom has dementia like, you don't think you know she has dementia. She confused you with like two people. And then unfortunately she upset her mom and didn't send anybody over there to, to, to go help her. Cause obviously the woman is living in a reality in which Lucy's still alive. That's how she's coping. Um, and, but it was so interesting where she was like, I hid it so they wouldn't have to know. And it's understandable that it's confusing to think that Lucy's mom might have done something to hurt her, but that's not the case. But she is, she seemed like she was kind of protect her from something about her reputation since she's, she stopped the people from talking about her. Mm. I'm I feel not like, sure what to make of this. Yeah, mm. I feel like there were a lot of layers, to, not just to that one scene, but yes, when it opened and we heard Nancy talking about uh, Lucy's mom, it definitely came across as though, could she have killed her? But then Nancy was like, no, I'm sure the whole my mom would kill me. It was just, she was speaking figuratively. She didn't mean that her mother would actually kill her. But then I think that scene brought a lot into question. We know, I don't, I think what we can take away from it is that Lucy's mom was, wouldn't have killed her. She did care about her. She was, maybe she, she, she thought of her daughter as someone who needs to be protected at instead of like working with them and just mm -hmm. trying to help her out from afar and doing things for her or whatever because she knows what she's like. I don't know whether that was what that was implying. But yeah, and then it did, it did. I agree with what Reed said. It brought Nancy into like a morally gray area where like, she shattered that woman's bubble of thinking that her daughter was still alive and then just like left her there. It was just, mm -hmm. it, it, we, Nancy's always walked that line and I think it'll be a long time before she unlearns how to walk that. But yeah, there was a lot of interesting dynamics in that scene in particular. And I think it left us as part ones do, it left us with more questions than answers. She was trying to be careful and you can tell that she was trying, trying to be as respectful as she could but she was like, oh, if I could just get this one piece of information and leave this woman alone. But she just like, 
when she started getting what she wanted, she just kept going and kept going. And you could see she was conflicted. But at the same time, I was like, girl, didn't you just talk to Nick last week about being conflicted about what to do morally? And like this situation is, I think, possibly a little bit worse. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But um, yeah, she got what she wanted. And I understand why fans were telling us we could we should watch the next episode in this episode together, because this is, I think, one of the biggest cliffhangers, at least for Nancy's sake. Mm-hmm. like we haven't had to wait to see what her fate was right no we haven't and not yeah we haven't um especially not in this way where we're trapped in she's now in her own bubble um perhaps this is like a um not karmic retribution but like you did this thing to this woman who's suffering from dementia and you popped her bubble about her her um her daughter being alive and now you are about to be trapped and what most likely is her happiest scenario. So I, um, we only saw her dad, but he mentioned her mom. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is gonna hurt and when she has to like wake up to the reality of her mom not being alive anymore. Yeah. But when she's going to, because the bugs were all over that that bed covering and the walls and like, no, we have the camera, to camera, covered up the camera. To- <laughs> oh my God, that was so gross. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and she had just gotten out of the bed too and I was like that means that they were already there but you can't see them but now I know that they were already oh, there wow. crawling over you <laughs> oh, that burst the bubble all right <laughs> <laughs> this uh storyline and this um this I don't even know what to call it but I heard trapped into this what they call it the box Oh. oh, the whisper box. Yes, the whisper box. So it reminded me of um, I don't remember what season of Once Upon a Time it was, but there's a season where like they get tra- someone gets trapped somewhere. I don't know if it was Prince Charming or Snow White, and they had to like send someone in to like get them. I don't. I see. I shouldn't even brought it up because I don't remember the specifics. But it reminded me of that, and it it made me think like, how are they going to get her out? Because they can't just mm-hmm. open a, the door, right? Like she's in oh. there. Yeah, because the they put everyone outside of the building. She doesn't see the the door left her side. I don't know if she's actually in reality curled up in a ball in the middle of the East Wing and they have to go find her in that library or if she's literally not on this plane anymore. Mm. Yeah, and that's what's interesting because when she went in, I was like, don't, don't let go of the door because I thought it was going to be one of those typical situations where the door slammed shut. That didn't happen. Even she worse. Just, yeah, she just <laughs> casually pushed the door closed. And I was like, okay. And then she turned around and the door was gone. I was like, oh man. Um, so I don't know whether, does that door still exist on the outside? As Sabrina said, or is she on this plane anymore? Of course, her body's still there, her mind's somewhere else. But like, can anyone else get to her body to wake her up? I mean, they will because she's still Oh alive. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have three seasons of this to go through. They'll figure it out. <laughs> but still, it's it's it is a um, situation that's very harrowing, and it definitely like makes you want to watch the next episode to find out what's going to happen with Nancy, who's going to save her. I do think it's probably going to be a team effort. Um, if there is one lesson she has learned, is that she does need people because she popped into the claw to say I need help, but she yeah. does not ever say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she did this time. And I love George's line about how did you ever have a solo career? <laughs> <laughs> Where is the lie? <laughs> and then you really should that. have used the buddy system this time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I feel like 
the, the one line that kind of stuck out to me towards the end, and I, we've kind of talked about it already, was when she said to Nick, but if you come with me now, who's going to save me? Who am I going to need to save me in 10 minutes? And was that like a remnant of the relationship? Was that her not moving on? Or was it her just acknowledging that Nick's always the friend that saves her? And is that a tease of what will come in the next episode? If you know what I mean? I think it's a little bit of both. I think mm-hmm. it's a, it's this new transition in their in their relationship. Like she goes off on her own, but he tends to save her. But also he's growing closer to George. Not that he wouldn't save her. I think he'd save anybody in their in their crew. But like the romantic side of that is definitely coming mm-hmm. to an end. I also love that like the the way that we get to where the the card is is through him knowing a Bible verse because it's mm-hmm. in the thin man's. She's like it was random. He's like actually no, it's it's this verse. It's um, <laughs> and then and George is like. Oh, um, now he knows. Now he goes to church every Sunday. It's just <laughs> nice to like we're getting um, little bits of his character um, as you go along, and then he gets to talk to her about his grandma and how she took him there, and um, that leads to a lovely discussion about finding his purpose in the claw. And George doesn't even fight it. She says, "I guess for co-bosses then," and he's like, "Co-bosses." Um, I like them. I really like them. They're very communicative and it's what he needed in his relationship that he was not getting it with Nancy. So I get why people are like, Fanchon flags high, you know, we're never going back to Nancy. Nancy's going to slowly make her way to Ace. I think I'll always love Drewson for what it was, but this is a great path for Nick. I think they needed to be together to learn stuff about themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think that it was a waste of a ship. I just think it was um, helpful for their characters. Very much so. It allowed him to, one, get a community through her and for her to accept that she has a community and, you know, learn that you cannot keep people on ice until you're ready to get them. Get to them. Mm-hmm. Long live Juicin. Well, <laughs> their spirit. <laughs> Always in our hearts. Can yes. we talk about Bess? Mm. She was great this episode. I don't like Amaya, but Bess was great. Yeah, I didn't know what to to think about that. Cause she Bess was like, I don't I was not understanding what the whole purpose of that was, other than Bess being invested in what's going on with her friends and using her new acquaintance friend as like a stepping stone and then also proving her worth as a Marvin. I guess that's the point of it. I think I just explained it to myself. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to create some conflict going forward because we've seen this so many times when someone is fighting to graduate into a different kind of life, a higher, higher class life. And she's done that now and it wasn't as hard as she thought it was, but now she's going to have to make a choice between is this who she wants to be versus who she was? Does she want it? Which life does she want to live? Does she want to like keep solving murders or stay with the Drew crew and have this lovely, happy relationship with Elizabeth? Or does she want to be challenged in the, in different ways, in, in ways she, where she didn't even have confidence in herself and be part of this family? Because I do will have to say, as, soon, as the episodes go on, I think we're seeing the Marvins in a less nice light because mm-hmm. we they've invested so much time into Bess forming this relationship with her aunt. And literally the scene had nothing to do with that. It was all about, oh yes, I accept you off the bat. Now will you do this for me? And literally it feels like they're going to start using her to open mm-hmm. more doors for them because I don't know whether the Marvins haven't opened doors as far mm-hmm. as young people goes. And I think that Bess will be their way to do that. And 
yes, in this case, she had a great relationship with Maya, right? Well, not right out of the gate, but they developed one. And I do think that will lead to a lot of conflict going forward because is there is is there feelings for Omaya? Will that lead to, between her having to choose between her and Elizabeth? I don't know. I think it'll be, Bess will have to make a choice at, at some point. For sure. And it was weird. Did she lie to Ace about Diana's intentions? Because I could have sworn her grandmother told her that she wanted her to form an alliance with Amaya um, and that Marvins don't marry the help, mm-hmm. which um, Elizabeth is actually um, law enforcement, but she still isn't the match that her grandmother would want. And she and, um, best told Ace that it was only supposed to be a mentor situation. I was like, yeah, your grandmother said that, but she also implied that she wanted the door to open to both families. And the mentor situation isn't as strong as a connection of an alliance as a marriage. I thought she mentioned something about that to Ace. Yeah, she did in the beginning when she needs help after she raids Nancy's closet of all closets. Oh, I want to know if she stole any pieces from Nancy because I was like, does Nancy have that orange turtleneck? Does she have that, you know, lush pantsuit? Like, what did you take from Nancy? I need to know. (laughs) (laughs) I had it too. I was like, this still looks like it's best. Unless, Mm. like, there's a lush pantsuit that um, Nancy's mom got for her that Nancy just never wore. And, and Bess was like, yes, this one, the one piece <laughs> that I can think. Um, but yeah, she told Ace that it's just because he's like, well, how does Elizabeth um, feel about that? And she's like, oh, she's fine with it because this is just a mentor or mentee situation um, that it's not supposed to be a relationship. And I was like, I thought Diana oh, right, lied right, right. that she wanted you to get mm-hmm. close to her by any means necessary. Maybe that's okay. just like trying to um, not put any mind into that. Oh, maybe that, that's her mm-hmm. lying to herself a little bit. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah. It, maybe she's trying to con- convince herself because uh, first of all, again, the friendship between her and S is just wonderful. And I feel like she's at her most calm when she's talking to him. It just, it feels like she's totally herself. And maybe that was a case of by trying to convince him, she was trying to convince herself because again, that's not how the episode panned out. When she was offered the lift by Amaya at the end, she ignored the, well, at least we think ignored the text from Lizbeth. So is that, that's definitely making a first choice, but will it be the final choice? Mm-hmm. Questions, questions. This is an interesting story for Bess. I am though confused. She is worried about um, being able to stay in America, which is understandable. But I was like, if you're a Marvin, haven't they taken care of your dual citizenship yet? Because I feel mm-hmm. like they should have since your father is an American. Oh, true. And she's out of favors with Ryan. So mm. that could have been a good way to be like, hey, help me out. Yeah, so I don't know. She's. I, it'll be interesting because Reed, weren't you the one who was suspicious about um, Owen's part in this and bringing her into the Marvins? And if the, she's, if she is a Marvin, how are they not? Well, she didn't explain to them that she's here. Did she tell Owen that she's here undocumented? I don't know. So they may not know then. But in any case, she still needs dual citizenship because the visa will expire. So. How are they not on that yet? Unless they're letting her believe she's a Marvin when she's not. Hmm. Maybe this was the test and they needed Amaya to be like, yeah, she's good. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. And so then like, she's just like, here's your papers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, episode 13 is going to be very intriguing. And um, do want to know how they get out of, 
Well, how Nancy gets out of the Wizard Box that apparently is owned by the Thin Man, which is a horrific mm. name. Um, I feel like we're about to watch a horror movie. Yeah. I feel like if staying in my Once Upon a Time um, reference that, you know, is barely a reference, I think someone's going to have to go in to get her out. So who knows how Nick. that's going to, how that's going to work. <laughs> it's gonna we be all just Nick. thought of him, yeah. <laughs> Yay, scenes, potentially. <laughs> so, um, but yes, this just, it's going to be an interesting, interesting story. Uh, one more point before we wrap this. This is like the lone horror on the CW and they do it so well. It's like very like low grade, um, but it's, I still get like unsettled. Like when the ball, when she was walking out of the East Wing and the ball follows her for a minute. Um, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> like, 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 just, like, like, go back into the East Wing. Like she does, the ball doesn't need to follow her. But like, yeah. I just think that's so interesting that they do horror elements without it being a very scary show. Mm. It got quite Stranger Things there for a moment. Just with I the was going to say yeah. that too. <laughs> me upside down vibes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the fact that they, she, she broke the seal that, was, that the priest had prayed shot. She broke the seal by opening opening the ward, opening the door into the, the new ward, broke the seal, the mold was coming through. And then, of course, she saw the, the ghosts. Uh, and the scene where she was walking back into it and was, the wind was all around her and you could see the cockroaches on the, on the, uh, the ball. It just... Definitely. I love the fact the show can like one moment you're having a really touching family scene. The next you're having police outside the house telling uh, us to bring us hostage out. And then the next you have Nancy entering a supernatural dimension. It does it all so well. It weaves in between all of these genres really well. And I agree every time I watch the show and you have, it's like three quarters through the way through, it's a nice family moment. And then suddenly the supernatural comes out of nowhere. You're like, hold on a minute. What did I sign up for? And you don't, you never know how far it's going to go. It never goes too far, but I, I love that it makes you think it well. That's very, very an expert use of the genre. And I love that about it. Yes. Season four cannot get here fast enough. <laughs> I mean, we needed to slow down a little bit because we have to finish yeah, yeah. and be caught up. <laughs> but like, I do understand why the fans are upset that it's not in the fall lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what we have what 13 episodes, 12 episodes to rename it. We're already like, yes, Nancy Drew Wrights deserves to be there. <laughs> Yes. Well, I mean, it's an our fall lineup. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> right, before we end, though, um, speaking of fall lineups, celebrating the CW cast for the premiere weeks that they're in. I mean, it's a very exciting time for the CW. The other networks already got to be like, woo, new shows. And now, like, the CW gets to do it, too. I'm so excited for the cast of the new shows. Yeah. yeah. It's just so wonderful to see them welcomed into this wider umbrella because the CW more than any of the other networks feels like this little bubble of its own we always say the CW is not just a network it's a genre so it's so it's always really exciting when new shows enter the fray but since there's so little of them this time around you're almost more zoned in honed in on it and watching them and it just it feels like it, even with everything going on right now fall feels like the beginning of an exciting new era and I love that for them yes and that era contains promo yeah. <laughs> <Shocking>. <laughs> yeah. So keep it up, CW, with the promo <laughs> and the wonderful shows. Um, but that is it for this pod. Uh, we are the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. Watch CW, y'all, live or stream CWTV.com on the CW app. <laughs>